Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. More coffee, Holmes. Mm. Uh, what's that, Watson? No, I merely asked if you'd like a final cup of coffee. I presumed you'd finished your breakfast. Oh, oh no, no, thank you. I've had enough. A busy day today? Yes. Oh, this has been one of the worst winters I can recall. Never seen so many cases of bronchitis and influenza. These terrible fogs. Oh, uh, wrap up well when you go out, Holmes. No, I shan't be going out. I've got a lot of bookkeeping to do. I hate it and everything involved with money and finance, but... Well, the time has come and it must be faced. Excuse me for interrupting, Mr. Holmes, but there's a message here for you. And Mr. Samuel Wyde left it very early this morning. A pawnbroker, he said he was. present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, an item of cartography. Sherlock Holmes' finances had always been a mystery to me. I knew that upon occasions he'd been rewarded for his most remarkable talents by princes and heads of state most handsomely. Yet, more often than not, he'd solved a crime that baffled Scotland Yard without apparently receiving a penny. Could he be in need of money? Well, surely he'd confide in me, his oldest friend. He'd not resort to pawning his possessions. Surely not. <laughs> no, no, Watson. I can read your mind. My affairs are not in such a parlous state. This notice from Samuel Wise, the pawnbroker in Great Titchfield Street. He asked if it'll be convenient to call and see me this evening. That's why I shall write a note telling him to be here after eight o'clock when his business closes. A pawnbroker? Here, Holmes? Do you know the man? Oh, yes, extremely well. There have been times when I've been able to help him out of trouble. You remember the curious case of the blind Madonna? He's cooperated well with me, too. It's surprising the number of people a pawnbroker gets to know, Watson. Wise Fingers, as he's affectionately known in underworld circles, is a valuable between man. Not as an informer, Mark you, but as a man who prides himself on helping others. I shouldn't think a man of such altruistic principles would become a pawnbroker. Well, I have a patient in Belsize Park who will be my first call of the morning, and from there I'll be making my way to Oxford Circus. Should you wish, I can easily drop your reply at the pawnbroker's premises in Great Titchfield Street, as I'll be passing that way. Oh, thank you, Watson. That's extremely kind of you. I shall write it immediately. I did as Holmes requested, merely dropping the note into the letterbox of the door under the pawnbroker's sign and went about my duties in cold, fog-bound London. Inevitably, everything was slowed down, and by the time I'd completed my day's calls, it was far later than usual. I let myself into our rooms at Baker Street with notions of a quiet, peaceful evening. 
I heard laughter and realized that we were not alone. Ah, come in, Boston, come in. Ah, good evening. Yes, I don't think you've met Mr. Wise. Fingers, this is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do? Oh, you won't know the likes of me, but I've heard a great deal about you, Doctor. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Ah, do take off your cape and coat and get yourself near the fire, Watson, and allow me to pour you a warming drink. Oh, thank you. I'd appreciate that. The Fingers was just about to tell me the reason for his visit, Watson. I thought we'd wait until you were present to witness it all. You know how I always rely upon you to give me an opinion. Thank you, but when I fear I may be intruding. The more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I think I should say straight away, Mr. Holmes, that uh, this has nothing to do with any crime. At least as far as I know it hasn't. Well, now, pour yourself another drink, Fingers. Sit down again, and now that Watson is comfortable, tell us what brings you to see us. Well, it was uh, on a Tuesday about three weeks ago. Uh, the bell of the shop door tinkled... And a well-dressed, but rather pale young man entered. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? I wish to get some money on this antique map. Could you... I, I mean, that is... Will, will you value it? Yes. Well, uh, oh, this looks quite valuable. Oh, here's a date. Yes, it's um, 18th century... Beautifully worked. It's a privately commissioned map of the Greek island of Idra. You see here the name of the artist, Francois Loudin. Mm. It's an extremely rare specimen, and it must be worth a lot of money. Mm. Here, look, look at the carefully worked decorations around the edges. Oh, old maps are not really up my street, if you pardon the expression, sir. But why not take it to the antique booksellers in Bond Street? Oh, because I, I don't want to part with it. But just at present, I need some money, as you can judge from my appearance. Let me have five pounds on the map until I can redeem it. Five pounds is a lot of money. The map isn't worth it. Oh, but it is. It's a very rare. And Ludai is a famous name. It must be worth well over a hundred pounds. Oh, if that's so, why not sell it? Because I don't want a part of it. Well, give me five pounds. Four. Four pounds, ten shillings. Four. Oh, very well. Four. I'll, I'll write out the ticket. Now, let's see. Number 71. You can redeem the map whenever you like. Six uh, percent interest. Uh, name and address? Robert Beecham, 32 Tunbridge Street, Maidervale. Robert Beecham, Bridge Street, Maidervale. There you are, sir. Four pounds in gold. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do take care of the map. I'll take it back whenever I can. Good day to you. Much obliged. Well, the young man left me, Mr. Holmes, and I placed the map away in a drawer. Didn't think much about it until yesterday, when out of the fog, the door opens, and in comes the most vulgar creatures I've seen in many a day. Elderly and coarsely spoken, seemed very excited. He put a pawn ticket on the counter in front of me, and the number on the ticket was... Uh, give me that map, Mr. Tickety's, for in quick now. Oh, let me see. Oh, yes. Well, I can remember this now. That old map. It was handed in here by Mr. Robert Beecham. You come from him? That's right. Here's the money with the interest. Where's that map? Is uh, Mr. Beecham ill? Uh, why didn't he come here himself? What's that going to do with it? 
Here's your ticket and here's the money, so hand over the map on me to him in. No. No, I can't do that. Uh, that map's valuable. I couldn't... I could get into trouble if I didn't uh, let him redeem the map himself. Oh, I'm telling you I come from him and all you want that map. Well, I, I'm sorry. If Mr. Beecham is ill, then tell him I'll bring the map to him. If he isn't ill, then he must come to me. Now, you may as well clear out. You, you can't have the map. Ticket on that ticket, so that's the close of the match. Oh, yeah. Oh, you'll call the police, I will. Well, well, there's a police station not five minutes' walk down the road. If you hurry, you'll find a sergeant on duty. You haven't heard the last of this. I'll get that map. I'll get it, I tell you. If it's the last thing we do. Well, now, as I say, I have a way of sensing when things are amiss. And I was sure they were amiss. So what did you do, Fingers? I shut up shop and I took a cab to Maida Vale. I was sure that young Mr. Beecham wanted me to hold on to that map. I expected him to be ill, or to tell me that the man had robbed him of the ticket. But no, Mr. Rams, he did nothing of the kind. I was surprised when he said... The man's name is Victor Scribben. I owe him money. I thought I might stop him pestering if I allowed him to redeem the map with his own money. Asking him to spend more on you. Are you going to give him the map? Of course not. I'm just going to let him look at it. The fact is that the map may be as valuable for the message it contains as it is for its artistic merit. Message? Well, yes. The fact is that the map belonged to my uncle, Jack Beecham. Just before he died, he hid his money away and left a will, which gives everything to the person who finds out where it is. Victor Scribbin worked for my uncle and has as much right to the fortune as anyone. Uncle Jack told me that the secret was contained in the map. Victor found this out and wants to study it himself. And you were going to let him? I've studied that map. I've gone over it with a fine tooth comb and there's nothing there. No clue at all. If, if I let Victor try it, it might keep him quiet. You must be mad. Giving an opportunity like that to that ruffian. What else can I do? I'll tell you exactly what you can do. Get the help of experts, my boy. Leave this to me. You're not to allow anyone to see that map until I've spoken to my friend Sherlock Holmes. I'll call him as soon as I can, and I'll let you know his advice. But until then, I'm holding on to the map. And no one is going to even have a butcher's at it. Is that understood? And, well, that's the position, Mr. Holmes. That's the story. Mm, quite remarkable. Uh, don't you think so, Watson? Yes, indeed. Well, what we do now... Uh... Well, let's see that map, Fingers. You brought it with you? It's on the sofa in my bag. I'll get it out. There. Good. Now, you want my advice? Oh, of course. Well, leave the map with me. Get in touch with young Robert Beecham and tell him to come over here tomorrow morning at ten o'clock. If there is a message regarding his uncle's fortune contained in that map, we shall find it together. Uh, well, yes, yes, of course. As you say. But although you do concern yourself with the well-being of others... You also have to live. If there is any money found, you will have some reward. If there is any money. Is that it, Fingers? Well, uh, my interest is 6%, as you know. It sounds fair enough, don't you think? Oh, let's 6% and I'll do everything you say. How's that, Mr. Holmes? It was typical of Sherlock Holmes that after Fingers Wise left... He did not study the map at all. He simply locked it in the center drawer of his large desk. Until he gained all the facts from the owner of the map, he was not prepared to investigate the matter. The next day, the fog had lifted, and for the first time in over a week, a glow of yellow light showed through the low clouds. 
Holmes was engrossed in the morning paper when... There's a young gentleman here, Mr. Holmes. Says his name is Beecham. Shall I show him through? Uh, yes, please, Mrs. Hudson. Uh, shall I bring some more coffee? Uh, perhaps a little later. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Very well. I'll, uh, I'll show the gentleman through. Robert Beecham was exactly as Fingers Wise had described him. Shabby but personable. He wasted no time and came straight to the point. What Mr. Wise has told you is quite true, Mr. Holmes. There is a secret in that map that means money. I have been unable to find it. Perhaps with your help... Well, first, give me all the facts. Tell me the whole story of your Uncle Jack and this strange will. Uncle Jack died six months ago at the age of 70. In his early days, he had led a roving life, and ten years ago, he came home with a fortune from the West Indies. How much fortune? Oh, that's the odd part. Nobody ever knew the amount of his wealth, for he was a secretive old fellow who confided in no one. He bought a place of his own in Woking. Just a small cottage, big enough for his needs, with a garden, of which he was very fond. His only great luxury was collecting old books and antique maps. He had an extensive collection. Where is it now? Well, it was sold along with the house and the land. A man in the city claimed the estate and sold it. Cricketer? What about the fortune? Well, Uncle Jack was a miser. Everybody knew it. All he gave me was the map. A valuable item. It was an unusual gesture of generosity. Well, tell me all about it. How he came to give it to you. Ah, you come to see me because you think I'll give you money. Is that it, Roberts? Oh, no, not really, Uncle. I am hard up. I still want to complete my studies, but if necessary, I can get a job. Hmm. It seems a pity, though, to have to do so now. Uh, never mind. Pity didn't have anything to do with hard work. It's leisure that harms folk. Uh, to be rich is to be idle, and to be idle is to waste one's mind. That may be true, Uncle, but these days it costs money to educate oneself. I can't learn without being given the right tools. You went abroad to make your fortune. I have to study to pass examinations. Examinations. <laughs> Pass a set of questions. That's not education. Then what is? Life. Life. That's what's education, my boy. Going to school, learning your sums. That's nothing to compare with getting out into the world and finding out the facts for yourself. <laughs> I educated myself, and I can tell you it was quite a task. And you know the chief lesson that I learned? What? That it is all one big, huge joke. Nothing matters much except having a sense of humor. <laughs> it's all a joke. Oh, I don't think I find life very amusing at the moment. Well, you will. Uh, hey, look, I'd like to help you out, but uh, I'll not be giving you any money. I'll give you something, though, of rare importance. I've got it here. On the shelf, under this window ledge here. Yeah, yeah, this is for you, laddie. Well, what is it? Uh, a map? Ah, and a rare one. And valuable, too. <laughs> but not for what it is. But what's hidden within. <laughs> when I die, that map will tell you all. Just read my will and study that map. And we'll see who has the last laugh about my life. <laughs> yes, it is. It's all a joke. <laughs> That was the last time I saw Uncle Jack. Well, now you know everything, Mr. Holmes. Please study the map. Tell me if you can find any clue in there. Very well. And let's start by putting it out carefully on this table. Now, Watson, come round here so you can get a good close look. Holmes used his powerful magnifying glass and made no comment as we all studied the map, section by section. Not one pen or pencil mark marred the creamy surface. There was no hint that betrayed the secret of the hidden money. 
Finally, Robert Beecham leaned back in his chair and sighed. There you are, you see. There's nothing. Nothing visible. And so, you know my methods, Watson. If there's nothing visible and yet something is there, then what is the answer? Just fine, oh, Holmes. Something invisible, I suppose. Exactly. And what is more obvious than invisible ink? What? Precisely. You told me two things about your uncle. One, that he was a miser, and the other, that he thought life was a huge joke. Well, as a practical joker, what is more likely than the use of invisible ink? Lemon juice. That could well be one. Message of lemon juice we can discover simply by using heat. But what do you say, Robert? It's worth a try. Well, there's a good fire burning in the grate. Now, wait. We must proceed carefully. By Jove, Holmes, a flat iron. You've had a flat iron by the fire all the time. You knew that this is how we'd find out the secret. That's a reasonable deduction. That's surely a question of reasoning. Now, let's get to work. Now, here's a thick velvet pad upon which we place the map first. Uh, pass me that sheet of brown paper, Watson. There. There it is on the right. Side. All right. Now, place the paper over the top section of the map first. Now, I press the flat iron on there. Now, let's see. Mm. Nothing there. Nothing at all. Oh, very well. Let's place the brown paper over the lower section of the map. That's it. Let me take the iron to that section. Uh, uh, now, let's see. Something is this. It, look, it's coming up. Yes. Look, look. The name printed in the bay there. An hundred a series of numbers. Well, what does it say? Can you read the numbers? It says, uh, uh, 45, 74, 69. Hmm. And the name there, underlined? Uh, and does the name Theodarchus mean anything to you? No, not a thing. It is evidently a Greek name. I have not even travelled to Greece. It doesn't seem to have much bearing on anything. Now, what about the numbers? Let's see. Spaced out in twos. 45, 74, 69. Could be a date. Let's see. 9 of 11 of 15. 18, 15. How old was your uncle when he died? He was 70. Yes, he was born in 1815. This looks like the date of his birth, yes. It must be 9th of November, 1850. Mm, date of birth and a Greek name. Uh, this property of your uncle's at Woking, has it been occupied yet? Well, not as far as I know. It's still deserted. Why? Because it is there that we must take up the case again. You have formed an opinion there. What is it, Mr. All in good time, my friend. I think we can take a train from Waterloo, which will get us down there this afternoon. Oh, and yes, uh, bring the map, won't you, Robert? The cottage at Woking was small and neglected. It was set at the end of a square piece of ground that held a number of trees. Fruit trees were unpruned, and the flowers grew wild with colour among the tall grass. The centre of the garden was a large oak tree, underneath which was an old wooden bench. A peaceful spot in which to read on mild days. It was certainly desolate now, although not quite deserted. For there, under an apple tree was a man with a spade in his hand. He stopped digging and turned when he saw us. Victor Scriven, what are you doing here? Robbie Beesham. I might ask you and the other two gentlemen who are with you, what are you doing here? Well, this gentleman is Sherlock Holmes, a famous detective. He thinks he can find my uncle's treasure for me. And I'm here digging every foot of this garden till I find the money. Worked a lifetime for him, or he didn't got nothing for a lifetime service. Oh, my, sir. I deserve to find that money, even if I have to dig for a month. 
I think that would be rather a waste of effort. I think this will provide the answer. Well, map. Yes, now let me explain. It's chiefly a matter of numbers. Watson, um, give me the numbers we've gathered together. Well, I'll give them to you, Mr. Holmes. 45, 74, 69. Right. And now, Robert, the name printed in the bay. Oh, yes. Theo Ladakis. Right. Now take the fourth letter of the name. It's O. Now the fifth. Uh, L. Oh, I see. Yes, that is the method. The seventh is D. Fourth is O. The sixth is A. And the ninth is K. Which gives us, quite simply, old oak. Then that's enough for me. That's where I'll be digging. No, no, wait. No, 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 no. Let him, let him go ahead and dig. If he finds anything, if he finds anything, we can quite easily prove that it belongs to you. Just let him dig. Old Victor Scribbins started digging. He was digging furiously for two hours at the base of the old oak tree until he eventually found what we were all waiting for. A large tin box was raised to the surface. Chuckling and gloating, Victor forced it open. We all expected to see gold coins spill out onto the damp earth. But instead... What? What is this? A tin trunk? Nothing. Nothing. A piece of paper. Allow me. To whoever finds this, when I returned to England, everyone thought I was so wealthy. They were wrong. I had just enough to lease this land and the cottage for as long as I thought I should live. There is no money. No reward. It's better to be thought rich than to be rich. It's all a joke. A colossal joke. What? Nothing! Nothing! So, I am penniless after all. Not exactly. You have the map. That's the start. A beginning on which to build your own fortune. I must admit I'm not at all surprised by this. A wealthy miser with a sense of humor as a man I've yet to meet. Human nature is very strange, don't you think? Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Gerald, I think that should do the trick. Thank you very much, Dr. Watson. Uh, I must confess that I can't for the life of me think why you should need a reference from me. After all, you are a registered practitioner. Well, that is what the advertisement in the paper demands. Here, see for yourself. Uh, wanted for short period is services of medical man. Necessary he be of strong physique and steady nerves. Must be entomologist. Coleopterist preferred. Apply in person, 77 Brook Street, immediately. A reference from other medical man essential. <laughs> what a curious advertisement. Well, I wish you well with your application. But if you get offered the post, I advise you to go into the position quite thoroughly before accepting it. <laughs> Good luck, Gerald. 
we present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, the man who loved the people. I hadn't seen young Gerald Hamilton for some years. I'd taken quite an interest in his career, simply because he was a distant relative and the only member of my family who had decided to take up medicine. I knew he'd done quite well and passed all his finals with flying colors. He was ambitious and was intent upon specializing, but was wise enough to get in as much general practice as possible beforehand. A strong, handsome young man... He was particularly interested in entomology, believing there was great need for medical research in the spreading of diseases by insects. Of course, I gave him a splendid character reference when he applied for a post with Lord Lynchmere at 77 Brook Street. We neither of us were to know what a trail of bizarre events were to start with this initial meeting. You've come in answer to my advertisement, Dr. Hamilton, then. Do you fulfill the conditions which are laid down? I think so, yes, sir. It would seem satisfactory from your references. Have you ever been exposed to imminent physical danger? I can't say that I have. But I believe I would react with promptness and keep my head in such circumstances. Mm, you certainly appear strong enough. So far, so good. And, uh, now, what about beetles? Uh, beetles, sir? Yes, you say you're interested in entomology. Can you talk at all about beetles? Well, I cannot profess to have anything original to say upon that creature, but I have a small collection for study. And I did contribute a small medical article regarding him in the Journal of Entomological Science. No, you were a collector. Splendid, quite splendid. You are the very man for my purpose. You must have heard of my brother-in-law, Sir Thomas Rossiter. One of the greatest authorities on the insect. You've not met him? No, sir. No, but you shall, you shall. I must tell you that my sister, Lady Elaine Rossiter, is abroad at the moment, and I have to stay with Sir Thomas over this next week. He's interested in nothing but his recent studies on the South American beetle. It will greatly aid me if you will accompany me to Delamere Court. That is my brother-in-law's country residence. Would that be convenient? If it falls within the scope of my duties, yes, of course. But with respect, sir, you have yet to outline this duty. Oh, yes, yes, quite, quite. I, I should require, Dr. Hamilton, that you put yourself absolutely at my disposal. For as long as you're with me, and particularly this coming week, you must remain by my side. You must promise to do, without question, whatever I may ask you to do, however unreasonable it may appear to be. That is asking a good deal. Could you not elaborate a little? Unfortunately not, as I do not know what turn matters will take. You may be sure that I shall not ask anything criminal. <laughs> you may well be proud to have been concerned in a good work if it all ends happily. It sounds extremely vague. Uh, may I ask the term? Yes, 20 pounds a day. 20 pounds a day? Yes. Lord Lynchmere, you may rely upon me. No, no, good. Then the matter is settled. Then consider yourself engaged as from this very moment. I will have a necessary contract of employment drawn up, should you desire it. Meanwhile, let it be a gentleman's agreement, and shall we shake hands on it, Dr. Hampton? By all means. By all means. It was in the middle of the next week that I received a letter from Gerald Hamilton explaining his circumstances. It was a very interesting and somewhat puzzling letter. I read some of it aloud to Sherlock Holmes. It really is a most strange household. And, as each day passes, I ask myself just what I'm doing here. Lord Lynchmere 
is pleasantly eccentric, but his brother-in-law, Sir Thomas Rossiter, is quite extraordinarily mad. He is a singularly ugly man, standing some six feet six inches, and is thin but wiry. His craggy features are topped by a domed head of strange appearance. His forehead appears to be in a state of continual movement, sometimes twitching. And at other times, the muscles seem to rotate. Most alarming. And I have never encountered this condition before. As a medical man, have you? <laughs> I can't say that I have. Most interesting. Carry on, Watson Wheatmore. Mm, uh, my duties are extremely vague. I am simply a companion to Lord Lynchmere, accompanying him wherever he goes, and even sleeping in the adjacent dressing room for his suite, so that I am within call should he wake in the night. Why he requires a doctor to attend him, I don't know, as he seems in very good health. Uh, for some hours every day, I talk to Sir Thomas, usually in connection with his work. But there is a strange atmosphere in this house, Dr. Watson. It radiates a sinister feeling. I, it would not be over-fanciful to say that the place smells of evil. How long I shall manage to stand it, I cannot say. How I would like you to visit here and see for yourself. But I need the money, and I shall endure it for as long as I can. Well, that's the main body of his news. Seems very odd, doesn't it? Yes, yes, indeed. Well, I've heard of Sir Thomas Rossiter, of course. I think he's mentioned in all the modern works of entomology. There was a Rossiter who was a triple murderer. Well, I sincerely hope there's no family connection, Holmes. Yes, yes. So do I. <laughs> Two weeks passed, and there was no more news from Gerald. And then I came down to breakfast one morning to find a telegram propped up by the coffee pot. Holmes had finished his meal and was puffing away at his first pipe of the day when I opened it. Good gracious. Oh, something serious must have happened, Holmes. This is a telegram from Gerald Hamilton. He's in trouble. Listen. Please come Delamere Court, Pangbourne, soon as you can. Murder imminent. Bring Holmes, despair for sanity, Hamilton. Yes, well, what do you make of that, Holmes? No more or no less than what it says, Watson. Lord Lynchmere warned the young man of danger from the very beginning. Uh, shall you go down? Yes, of course. Will you accompany me? Oh, by all means. I've already looked up the times of the trains and discovered that the best inn in the district is the Drover's Armour. <laughs> How could you have anticipated this, Holmes? Uh, the postmark on the telegram is Pangborn. It's marked urgent. Must be a cry for help. Only your young prodigy could have sent it. Shall we hurry and catch the 9.45 Watson? The journey from Paddington to Pangborn was uneventful. The train was quite crowded and we had little opportunity to talk. We took a donkey cart from Pangborn Station to Delamere Court, and the driver of the cart seemed ill-disposed to chatter. As we clattered our way over the uneven dirt road that dwindled into a single track, I looked around the bleak countryside. The skies had clouded over and threatened rain. The leaves of the trees seemed to be grey and not green. The foliage of the hedges was dank and gave off an unpleasant smell. It was indeed a most depressing vista. And Delamere Court, grey-stoned, bleak and depressing, peered from the hillside with gloom foreboding. What a miserable-looking district, Holmes. Not a great deal of cheer about it, is there? That, I take it, is the home of Sir Thomas Rossiter. Yeah, it must be. Is that Delamere Court, driver? Uh, aye, that be it. 
And I'll be dropping you at the drover's arms as we arranged. I've been going to drive up to that place no matter how much you pay me. Oh, now, why should you say that? Because he's haunted, that's why. That place is haunted by the dead and by the undead. He'll take my advice, stay clear of it. There's many who set their foot in there and never been seen again. Just be warned. Stay clear. I will. Staying clear of Delamere Court was the last thing we had in mind. We signed in at the inn and immediately changed into our country boots and set out to walk across the fields to join the driveway of the estate. We were crunching our way towards the house when... What the devil? Stay quite still, Watson. Make no attempt to take cover or move in any way. That shot was meant as a warning. May I ask you to join here? Can you not read the signs? This is you be prosecuted. Turn immediately and leave my land. You are Sir Thomas Rossiter? And what if I am? I am Sherlock Holmes and this is Dr. Watson. We've come to visit Lord Lynchmere. Well, this is my land. The one any strangers here. I don't care who you are. Name Sherlock Holmes doesn't give you any more rights than anyone else. No, 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 I agree. On the other hand, the name Sir Thomas Rossiter does compel me to thank you for your book upon the Coleopatra. I found your chapter on the better-known species of British scarabai quite fascinating. Oh, <laughs> It's a rare thing to meet a man who takes an intelligent interest in such matters. Uh, if you wish to speak to my brother-in-law, perhaps we could uh, discuss this matter on the way to the house. Well, certainly, certainly. Uh, but surely this is Lord Lynchmere approaching. Ah, yes, yes, it is. But uh, come, let's not bother about him. Now, what is your opinion upon the uh, nice cycle of the golden brown raspberry beetle? Thomas! Thomas! What is this? Who are these men? Uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson called to see you. Uh, Mr. Holmes is about to give me his views on the Laparispa acid. Uh, please do not interrupt us. Now, you were saying, Mr. Holmes... Well, I've heard fast-running active creatures... Dr. Watson, and you thought Sherlock oh. Holmes... Oh, thank heaven for that. Thank heaven. Please, please promise you will stay with me. Please promise me that you will never leave my side. Promise... was immediately caught up in the weird atmosphere. I sensed at once the unbalanced mental state of both the men who walked with us up the windswept drive. Sir Thomas Rossiter appeared only calm and reasoned when he was discussing his work. When talking about beetles, he was thoughtful and rational. On other subjects, he was quite distrait. As for Lord Lynchbeer, he seemed to sight himself with fear. Once inside the house, Sir Thomas made for his study with no word of explanation. Lynchmere took us through to the sitting room and offered us drinks. I, I know it's early, but I feel the need. I feel the need. Uh, will you join me? Uh, thank you, no. Uh, uh, not for me, thank you. Uh, uh, Lord Lynchmere, I feel I must explain our intrusion. The fact is that we've been sent for by my young friend and colleague, Dr. Gerald Hamilton. He seems to have been in some trouble. Hamilton, uh, Dr. Hamilton. Uh, well, yes, he, he isn't here. Not here. But you mean he is out at the moment? Yes, since the morning, um, since um, this morning, early. He, uh, he had some business to attend to today. So he asked me last evening if he could take the day off. I, I naturally gave him permission, and so he's out this morning. He's gone to London. Oh, this is extraordinary. He sent a telegram to us, urging us to come down here immediately. Well, why would he have done so if he contemplated coming back to town? He could have seen us there. I... 
don't know. Believe me, I, I don't know. I'm most distressed by it all. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you will return this afternoon. Oh, please, you will stay to luncheon, won't you? Uh, stay tonight, as long as you like. Oh, thank you, but we are comfortably housed at the Trover's Arms. Yeah, I'll tend to feel like it. It'll be a pleasure having visitors here. Oh, we wouldn't dream of imposing upon your hospitality. No, no trouble at all. Just let me... But I, 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 I do assure you, Lord. Uh, I yes. think we shouldn't be so churlish as to refuse an offer to stay in such a unique home, Watson. And after all, we do want to find Gerald Hamilton, don't we? Uh, well, I... Uh, well, uh, 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 Yes, yes, I suppose you're right. Oh, Captain, you're right, sir. Yes, uh, please take a trap down the driver's arms and uh, bring the luggage for Mr. Holmes not to watch. Oh, very good, sir. And uh, tell the maid to make up the bed in the room either side of mine. Very good, sir. Will that be all, sir? Yes. For the moment, yes. Thank you. Well, I, I cannot tell you how thankful I am that you've called, gentlemen. It, most obliging of you to consider staying over until Dr. Hamilton gets back. I, I'm sure he will not be long. Well, I still find the whole business most confusing, but naturally we want to do what is best for both you and him. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm afraid you may find things a trifle dull here. Sir Thomas hardly ever leaves his own room except to walk in the gardens and study the insects. It's a very large house. Does he live here alone? My sister Elaine is traveling abroad at the moment. She, she runs the house. There are some five servants. It's large but comfortable, providing you stay in the rooms that she's planned. Uh, no one dare venture into Sir Thomas' domain. There are some rooms that even the servants are forbidden to enter. Heaven knows what they're like inside. Would it be possible to see around the place? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, come, let me show you to your room. shown over the house, seeing, I suspected, only what Lord Lynchmere wanted us to see. I could tell that Holmes was very intrigued. Although he kept up an endless stream of small talk with our host, he was noting every square inch of the rooms and corridors. Uh, that is a door that can never be opened. It leads into Thomas's private quarters. As for the rest, well, it is at your disposal, gentlemen. Certainly roomy. I hope I can find my way about. No, stay close to me. That is all I ask. My bedroom is here. Yours, Dr. Watson, is this one. And on the other side, that is yours, Mr. Holmes. There are connecting doors to my own room, and I beg of you to leave them open tonight. I have a morbid fear of being alone, even when I'm sleeping. Shall we return to the sitting room? There should be a pleasant fire there by now. Oh, we can talk quietly into lunch. Oh, begging your pardon, the Lord. Hmm? But could you yeah. please have a word with Cook about meals? Yeah. I have to be changed now. She wants definite instructions. No, dear, dear. How tiresome is I suppose I'll have to do so. Oh, if only a lame way here, things would be so very, very different. Will you please excuse me, gentlemen? Go down to the sitting room again. I will join you there in just a few moments. Yes, yes, very well. Don't bother about us. We can find our way. Now, quickly, Watson. This may be our only chance to talk. Lord Lynchmere is going to stick to us like glue. Holmes, what is going on here? I can't understand. I think it's fairly clear that Gerald Hamilton has not left this house. If that's the case, then he must be here somewhere and held against his will. We've just got to put up with all this quaintness until we can find him. But how? How will you do that? We're never left alone. Look, after lunch, stick at Lord Lynchmere's side. He's so scared that he's wearing himself out. Stay with him. Encourage him to relax. I shall make a thorough search and somehow or other get into Sir Thomas Rossiter's apartments. We think that he's being held in there, but why? No, well, in this house there could be many reasons. But I'm certain that he is here. Somewhere beyond that closed door he's being held prisoner. One doesn't like to think of what might be happening, but we must find him. Come, let's get back to the city. So, uh, so, my friend, 
Shut your mic. Good. Good. What, what the devil is going on here? I'm punished. Why am I tied down like this? So many reasons. Very many reasons. One is so that you cannot protect that tiresome brother-in-law of mine who is watching my every move. It's worse than my wife. Nothing to do with that. I'm only here to do my job. And your job will be over quite shortly. Oh, yes. You will not be needed after tonight. But meanwhile, I'm anxious to try a small experiment. I am sure with your interest in the South American people, you will agree to this in the cause of science. I have a theory that the large red Montevideo thrives on human blood. In much the same way as each is draw blood. I have many of them here in this large glass container. I shall open your shirts. Sent through to his quarters. He's more than happy to be alone with his work. May I suggest a nightcap? Uh, not for me. Oh, oh, excuse me. As for the country air, I think your suggestion of retiring is a splendid one, Lord Lynchman. Then may I lead the way upstairs? Uh, Rogers will put out the lamps. Uh, come this way, please. And, uh, oh, and please do remember to sleep with the communicating doors wide open, won't you? I simply loathe the feeling of being alone in the dark. Or, uh, if, if you hear anything, anything at all, however slight, then, then, then wake me. You will promise, won't you? Wake me if you hear anything during the night. Promise. Come. Come up with me. Watson, we can waste no more time. Come quietly now. Follow me. Fortunately, I packed a dark lantern with my things. Come this way. Holmes, Holmes. Where are we going? We're surely not outside. That's right. It's the only way. Careful. Now, the door. What is this? I, I thought you said that Gerald must be held inside the house. He's in the cellar under the of study. There is a large ventilated grill that must lead down into the cellar. It should be easy enough to remove the camp. Here by the light of the lantern. There. Half covered by the ivy. That has got to be the place. Yes, I, I, I think you may be right, Holmes. Uh, shine the uh, light downwards. No. 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 
Make him all right, Watson. Come on. Use the strength of yours. Get that grid up. Come on. It took us nearly 20 minutes with all our combined strength to ease the iron grillwork away. A few minutes later, we were in the cellar unfastening the bonds that tied Gerald Hamilton to the table. Holmes threw the glass case that covered his chest to the ground. There. There. Are you all right? Yes. I think so. Let's get those loathsome creatures off your chest. What a horrible ordeal. It's, it's all right. Harmless. Just one of Sir Thomas' illusions. Dr. Watson, Mr. Holmes, he's mad. Look, sir, he's raging mad. Right, well, come along. Let's get you out of here. We'll get back to the driver's inn and call the police. No, 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 wait. There's still Lord Lynchmere. Yes, yes, I was hired to protect him. He knows that his brother-in-law is dangerous. Yes, well, there's no time to wait. Come, let's get out of him into the house. There may still be time. Hurry, now, both of you. Hurry. Careful. Softly now. Quiet. No, no, no. Through here into my room. It leads to Lord Lynchmere's. securely tied with a sash cord from the windows. One glance was enough to prove that he was a most dangerous maniac. Gerald Hamilton found his doctor's bag and administered an injection that took immediate effect. Later, downstairs, Lord Lynchmere explained. Uh, my poor brother-in-law is stricken with a disease. He comes from a stock which is deeply tainted with insanity. He has these periodical outbreaks in which he will attack anyone who seems to interfere with his work. Try for years to conceal this. My sister has led a dreadful life, and we realized that it could not continue. It grows worse each time. That's why I sent Elaine away and hired you, Hamilton. I needed protection and also a witness. A, a witness who was a doctor and could testify that Thomas is unbalanced and quite certifiable. We have had ample proof of that tonight. Thank heavens you came, Mr. Holmes. Now, Watson has been more help than I. It was quite easy to discover the layout of the house and realize there had to be a cellar beneath the study. Well, you had a dreadful ordeal, Hamilton. I sympathize completely. The fact is that I've never been able to bear beetles. I think it's time we went home. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Holmes, I was hoping I'd find you here working in the library. My dear Tebbit, I know you are a tutor and lecturer at this college, but you must understand I am an extremely busy man. I realize that, but a very awkward and delicate incident has occurred here at Maudlin. By chance, you are here, and I must turn to you for help. I'm sorry, I cannot be disturbed. If there is any trouble, I should prefer it if you would call in the police. The, the police? Oh, no. No, that, that would cause a terrible scandal at all costs. 
Maudlin must avoid a scandal. I beg of you, Mr. Holmes, help us. For the sake of the college, help us, please. present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Tonight, a hollow victory. <laughs> <laughs> 